I would always hear people saying like, oh, don't go to Central on a Sunday. They might think you're a helper, you know? And that came to show me that there is a real problem there. Because um, if we Filipinos can't even accept and support each other, how do we expect that other people are also going to empower uh, the women migrant workers here in Hong Kong? Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Chriselle Kinsinji, an award-winning actress and entrepreneur who was born and raised in Manila. Currently based in Hong Kong, Chriselle is the first Filipino to be nominated and to receive an acting award in the Hong Kong Film Awards. She tells us about the work she does that has touched the hearts of Filipinos and her mission as an early childhood educator. Welcome back to Proudly Asian. For this week, I'm so glad to be welcoming award-winning actress and entrepreneur, Chriselle. Thank you so much for joining us on Proudly Asian, Chriselle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to finally make this conversation happen because I know you have really busy schedules. And just out of curiosity, what's been keeping you busy? I know that last Christmas you had this performance at Disneyland and all your performances and videos look so good. Oh, thank you, Isabel. Uh, well, first of all, I gave birth um, last May, so um, it's almost been a year. And for anyone who's ever taken care of a baby... <laughs> it's a bit. It's a. It's been a lot of um, sleepless nights and, and sleep deprivation. But um, in the course of that amazing year, I've also had a great opportunity to work with a lot of singers um, to get back into more performing uh, work. And um, I actually did two concerts last year, <laughs> um, and uh, and a couple of other performances. So that's been going well. And yes, thank you. I had I had a wonderful time singing for Disney. Uh, I don't know if some of you know that I actually started, my first job in Hong Kong was to work for Hong Kong Disneyland. So that's what got me here in 2008. I did it for about three years. Coming back 12 years later, you know, 12 years since I left, right? And 15 years since I came to Hong Kong, right? It was it was a, a full circle moment, you know, singing in, the, in front of the castle and my song, my solo song was actually Journey to the Past from Anastasia. So that was very, uh, that was very heartfelt for me, I think. I saw one of the videos that your baby girl was able to see you perform as well. So that is just such a heartwarming moment. But before we get into the rest of the conversation, we usually ask every single guest on Proudly Asian this question. So, Chriselle, why don't you tell us about your background? Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? Okay, uh, I'm Filipino and I grew up uh, in Manila, and I I lived there for basically all my life until I was 23. 
Uh, I started performing when I was 10 years old. So professionally, I was in a company called Repertory Philippines, and that's where I learned my craft. And I did that for, for 13 years. And um, during this time, it was, a, it was an interesting journey. I didn't think I'd stay in the performing arts for a long time, uh, but I did stay for 13 years. And during this time, uh, I took a different, I thought I would take a different path. I studied my bachelor's and my master's in political science because I wanted to be involved in development work. And that was an interesting, uh, there was an ter interesting turn of events when I just said like, okay, I'm done with the theater. Uh, I'm going to go into my quote unquote at that time, real job. You know, there was this pressure. Uh, of course, that's not something, that's not something valid. It's not something validly, val you want to say nowadays to people because being an artist is a real job. Uh, but back then it was a different um, scene. So, um, and then by the time I said I would, I would go into another field, Disney called. And so I got on a plane and um, I came here to Hong Kong. And, um, and then I, I worked for three years in Disney. After that, I said, oh, I want to try other things. I retrained as an early years educator. I took my, <laughs> I took my training and then my, my master's in education here, focusing on um, early childhood development and then fusing that with my love for music and, and performance and, and um, a desire to bring the arts into education. Um, I, I retrained and um, now I, I run my own center for children. It's called Baumhaus. It's a family center, the first of its kind in Hong Kong. And um, it's been running for eight years and we distribute the kinder music program for children zero to three years old. So it's a bit of a full circle journey because then I get to pass on the love for music and, these, and, and this really good foundation for learning for the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, along the way, uh, and that's why probably a lot of you know me, <laughs> um, or well, maybe not everybody, but <laughs> most people who know me and uh, know me because of the film that I did. That was that was supposed to be a side project that turned out to be very interesting because um, I, I did I did the film Still Human because I believed in the story, and um, it was about um, empowering also uh, a lot of Filipino migrant workers here in Hong Kong. And, um, and yes, that got me back into performing. So here I am now. <laughs> it's a, my complicated answer to what am I? Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a singer. I'm an actress. I'm an early childhood educator. And I'm an entrepreneur. And most recently, a mother. Oh, wow. Was that the question? Or <laughs> was it yes. about identity? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's no model answer to the question. But yeah, it's such a beautiful journey and I can't wait to see what else the future has in store for you any other amazing projects that you'll be involved in but just out of curiosity during your years growing up I'm just wondering if there were any defining moments during your formative years that sort of shape your beliefs and the kind of decisions that you made subsequently in life hmm. I think my exposure to the theater was very um, very pivotal for me because um, I, I got really exposed to different ways of thinking. Um, I, I learned from an early age that you really need to work hard and you know, talent or ambition is not enough. It's really putting in the work and the discipline day in and day out. Um, the th being in the theater also opened my mind to, to being more empathetic towards other people, try to understand different cultures and putting myself in the shoes 
of other people and other characters. You lightly mentioned that you really spend a lot of time in learning, performing, but I'm just wondering, like, what really got you started as a kid with performing? I I just really love to sing. You know, I never took um I never took these summer workshops or or classes. You know, because during the summer, um, my parents would just say, "Oh, go out, go out and play." So we or we we'd fly um to visit my my relatives abroad. So it was really so. I don't think so. I think they didn't expect that this child who just liked to sing and dance around actually wanted to do it seriously. Um, according to my mom, at when I was ten. I went over and I said, "Hey, there's um, there's an open call." I showed her a newspaper clipping, and it was for Repertory Philippines production of um, Evita, and they needed like um, a chorus of of children. And I said, "I want to do that." And and my mom said, "Really? You've never you've never really done this. <laughs> you haven't you know maybe you sang in school or or whatnot, but you haven't really done anything professional. You didn't train for this." And I was like, well, it's worth a try. I'd like to try, basically. Apparently, I was really um, adamant that I wanted to to do it. And um, and I got in. And then I was very lucky because at that time, um, the one of the directors, Joy Verata, was pioneering like um, theater for young audiences. And so she actually needed uh, young people all the time to play the children's roles. And so I fit right in and... And I just, you know, I just, I just grew with it from year, year after year. So yeah, it, it that's, that's what started it. I mean, obviously you mentioned earlier, you thought you would move into this real job by studying political science in uni, right? But in 2008, you moved to Hong Kong to work as a lead vocalist at Hong Kong Disneyland. I'm just wondering if there were any other motivating factors that prompted your move to Hong Kong other than this job opportunity. I just wanted to try something different, I think. And and at the time I was finishing my 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 dissertation for my my master's thesis and I was so stressed. <laughs> and I think I was I was in a crisis of um you know, do I really want to write academic papers? And 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 I said, "Okay, okay, let me let me um let me take this offer. Uh it's for 8 months in Disney." And I thought, you know, I, I mistakenly thought that, oh, this was going to be an easy gig. How hard can it be? It's going to be fun. I have a lot of time to to study and write my thesis. But it was a, a very rude awakening because, you know, um, it's a very um, rigorous job. You know, being in Disney, yes, it's it's the happiest place on earth. But to keep that magic and to keep that happiness, you know, there, there are thousands of people in, in the background you know, making those wheels work. And um, and I think I learned a lot in terms of of being professional. I mean, I already learned a lot from from doing that for 13 years in the Philippines, you know, the the uh, the rigors, the hard work. But here it was uh, it was a different scenario because we would do the same shows uh, for, you know, maybe five shows a day maximum, five days a week. And, you know, basically the whole year and to be able to um, keep your stamina, keep your integrity as a performer and keep the quality. It takes a lot of it takes a lot out of you, not just physically, emotionally, uh, mentally. I know it doesn't seem like it, 
but you can try doing the same thing. By the fifth time you're doing it during the day, <laughs> I tell you that your brain is already playing games with you. It's such a tough job being a performer because to the audiences, it might be the first time they ever see the show, but then to the performers, it might be they have performed that same act for a thousand times. And it's not even like every day they would feel their best selves, right? Sometimes they could be sick. Sometimes they might not be feeling, you know, um, like happy or like excited, but they still got to carry on with the show. So I have so much respect for, you know, all the performers and also performers who work at Disneyland. But I mean, going back to your move um, to Hong Kong, right? I'm just wondering, what was your first impression of the city? And was it quite like what you imagined the city would be? I really like Hong Kong. Um, within the first month of being here, I realized that I wanted to live here for a long time. I think it's one of those places where you have a lot of opportunity. You have opportunities to to reimagine, re-envision um, a life for yourself. There are many options that are open. And I know there are challenges attached to them, but Hong Kong is a place where your hard work, your talent and your determination and your relationships with people actually create help you create an ecosystem and a network, and um, a, 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 wherein you would you can create a life for yourself. At least that's that was my perspective when I came in. It's a small city that's big in many ways. At the same time, I also felt Hong Kong. You hear my baby in the background. <laughs> At the same time, I also felt uh, that Hong Kong um, is an exciting place because you could be sitting in a cafe and chatting with somebody who turns out to be from an entirely different field, an entirely different industry, or an entirely different country, way of life. And, um, and sometimes you, you meet, uh, you make friends in the strangest of places. And, uh, and I found that some of these friendships have lasted uh, the 15 years that I've, I've been here. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, living in Hong Kong, I do realize how easy it is to meet people. And I mean, how you're so close to all the places. Like if you want to meet up with a new person or meet up with friends, it could be like 15 minutes or 10 minutes away. And then you're in a new place meeting new people. So it's amazing that way. But of course, Hong Kong is this international city. Its diverse population is one of its strengths. But of course, every city has its own social issues. And one of the social issues is that ethnic minorities aren't always treated or viewed favorably in Hong Kong. So I'm just wondering for yourself, living here for 15 years, have you ever had any personal experience and moments where you felt like you might not be treated as fairly as you could be? I did have a challenging experience. Um, when I was transitioning um, out of Disney and trying to get myself established as an educator, there were so many barriers for me. But one of these barriers was something that was not just um, a, a bias that wasn't working towards Filipinos, but it was also working against the interests of locals. So Asians in general, there was this belief 12 years ago, mind you, that it was um, that parents, and I put this in quotations, parents preferred native English teachers to locals or Filipinos. It was like the standard of, of education 
would not be would not be um, equal if you were taking an, an Asian or specifically a local or a Filipino teacher. And um, and I remember it was a struggle for me because I had to prove that I could speak fluently and that I could teach in English. I had to bring out these certifications and um, and it was a challenge to hear this in a professional setting. It was something I didn't expect I would hear from quote-unquote professionals saying, oh, but you know that parents prefer uh, prefer native English teachers. And in one setting, uh, I was even shocked because somebody must have not been thinking straight because this person said, you know, they prefer somebody who's white. And I was so shocked. It really is, um, it makes, it does a disservice, not just to to Filipino teachers, but to local teachers as well. Uh, that's that's just not fair. And thankfully, our society has collectively evolved, uh, and now there is so much more opportunity. But back then, it was it was a challenge. I even had somebody, uh, I even had a, a principal mention, "Oh well, mm, uh, you know what we can do? We can hire you as a TA, but since we can't get your visa, maybe you could sing at a bar, get your visa there." Uh, through that and then be a TA here. And I was like, is this what is this what um, what locals and what Asians, what Filipinos would have to deal with? I said, nah. So um I had to I had to establish myself in a different way. Obviously once once I um, uh, once I got um, a job teaching, I had to learn what was the industry, what were the strengths, what were the weaknesses and and eventually, it gave me an opportunity to understand what the needs were. And and the needs were not just for quality instruction, but also opportunities for for locals, for Asians, for ethnic minorities um, to have a stepping stone, you know. Um, and that's something later on I'll share with you that um, I was able to do through Boundhouse. But the other aspect to ethnic minorities, I mean, of course, a lot of people would know that there's a huge presence of foreign domestic helpers in Hong Kong, and they mainly come from the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Southeast Asia countries, right? So I'm just wondering, when you arrived in Hong Kong, how did it make you feel knowing about the general perception of foreign domestic helpers here? Oh, that's a uh, that's a very big question. You see that that's so complex uh, as to how as to what I was feeling towards the situation. Um, obviously, it's always disturbing. It's disturbing um, having come from a background where I had to study this for in uni, and I had to do my internship in in the in the country's um, socioeconomic think tank. You know, it, 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 I I know the figures. And to see it, you know, it's it's a different, it's an entirely different story to hear each each story of of these women about um, the challenges they face, and not just here, but more so what happens in their families back home. Uh, that was um, that was always concerning. Uh, I think the big thing for me coming here was seeing that there wasn't really. A lot of things for them to do or anywhere for them to go and until now that's still a problem i mean that's still an issue that you know hong kong is is a place where there are a lot of resources why aren't there spaces and centers why are we still uh agreeing to this whole culture of being on the streets i mean it's a different story if that's what you really want 
But the fact that you don't have much other, you know, much um, choices beyond that, that's an issue. I, I, I feel like that's an ongoing um, issue that people are trying to to rectify in their own in their own small small ways and in different projects. Mm-hmm. I also felt that if there is any um, social or uh, social discrimination, it wasn't just from people in Hong Kong or or, or people from the international community, but rather from Filipinos as well, right? That was very disheartening for me because I would always hear people saying like, oh, don't go to Central on a Sunday. They might think you're a helper, you know? And that came to show me that there is a real problem there because um, if we Filipinos can't even um, accept and support each other, then, then I think, um, how do we expect that other people are also going to empower uh, the Filipino, the women, the the women migrant workers here in Hong Kong? And you also brought up a bit of how we can perceive this, right? Like it might not just be at the racism level. There's a bit of that socioeconomic level as well. So when you first mentioned that to me, I thought it was quite eye opening. Yeah, I think it's not like I mentioned earlier when you asked me. You know, the issue for me is not. Um, it's it's a social discrimination issue, right? I think people are quick um, to label things, racial discrimination. I think it's not, mm, sometimes it's that, many, many times it's that, but there's also that socioeconomic aspect. There's a social discrimination that just because you do this, ergo, that means you are, uh, ev- all the other words that I, I, I hesitate to say, it, but the judgments of, oh, because you're working as a helper, you are um, ill-educated or poor and um, and but all a, ho- a host of all other things, like not well-mannered, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not actually true. There are about, um, from the Filipinos, I think there should be about 250,000 um, mm-hmm. migrant workers. And you can't expect the same story for everyone, right? Everybody, everybody comes here with a different... Um, different purpose, different background, and different circumstance. Uh, and um, in the community work that I've been doing since arriving in Hong Kong 15 years ago, it's it's the same. It's always the same. There's so many different stories. And most of these stories are those that you and I can relate with. You know, somebody coming here, let's say, let's say somebody was a teacher in the Philippines, but at some point um, her dad um, had to have like some heart surgery. And so she said, okay, let me go to Hong Kong and, you know, and just make that money to send back home. Or, or, or some people who say like, um, they started here, they would have just stayed for a few years. And then they realized that there was not really a home for them to come back to. So they just stayed on for another 15 years, you know? And, and these are, these stories are, um, are always happening around us. But they're stories that all of us can relate to. It's not it's not something that's very just specific mm-hmm. to migrant domestic workers. There's definitely a lot of layers and different like ways to look at it. And I really love how you pointed out discrimination, whether social or racial, is never just, let's say, West against Asians. Like there's also discrimination among Asians as well. And sometimes it might be worse. Which brings me to talk about the movie debut that you did. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your first debut as an actress 
community in Hong Kong with the movie called Still Human, which is of course a movie that a lot of Hong Kongers know you by, and you also won an award as the best new performer at the Hong Kong Film Awards as well. So it's huge achievements as a first-time actress on the big screens. And for listeners who aren't too familiar with the plot, I'll just give you a quick introduction about the movie. So the movie basically tells of the story between a paralyzed Hong Kong man and his new Filipino domestic helper, who is a former nurse who has put her dream on hold of being a photographer to move to Hong Kong to earn a living. And the movie basically explores how invisible people with disabilities and foreign domestic workers are and how they sort of find this intersectionality and similarities in terms of their experiences despite they are from different places. So it's a very heartwarming story. I remember watching it on a flight and I sort of cried towards the end as well. But I just want to quickly ask you, Chriselle, like how did this opportunity came about and how did you feel when you first received the script? There was an open casting call in 2017 and it was just on Facebook. And I was more curious because uh, it said like, oh, a Hong Kong production is gonna make a, a movie which has, you know, which puts the story of the Filipina migrant worker on, you know, on, on the spotlight. And um, and I appreciated that it was a very, um, it was a script that was really, really fair. I think in many different areas, uh, I was so pleasantly surprised that when I went to the casting call, uh, that um, director Oliver Chan Shukun actually did a lot of research and she understood the concept all of these things I'm telling you about the intricacies of the social dynamics, not just not just um, with the Filipinos and uh, the rest of the world, but rather even among Filipinos. And I said she gets it. And there was a lot of there was a lot of respect with the way she was treating the story. And um, and I said, wow, this is I'm surprised <laughs> that uh, that somebody is able to get the essence of this and um, and that. She's actually willing to gamble on putting, you know, putting the stories of, you know, of, of these two characters on equal footing. And I'm like, this is great. And, and um, I remember thinking that if I wouldn't be cast um, in the role, I would love to be part of the production. See, by this time, I had, I had been doing a lot of um, community work. And so... I've been collecting all these stories of migrant workers. In fact, I was saying, oh, one day I'd love to be able to share them. So I, I've said this before, when this opportunity came up, I felt like it was a chance to make the character like an amalgamation of all these different um, different stories and different women that I've met. Uh, and it was a chance to give a very um, a, a very respectful and very balanced narrative where people could make make their own um, analysis and 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 give their own fair feelings towards the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to add some context as well because when you mentioned when you first received the script, you were so pleasantly surprised by how fair the plot was. Like it is really something that's not common in Hong Kong because for those who know the media representation of foreign domestic workers on TV or on screens, a lot of the time it's very stereotypical. They aren't as smart or like they would have heavy accents. So for Hong Kongers to be able to see foreign domestic workers to be presented this way 
I mean, I wouldn't say it's the first time, but it's very, very rare. So I'm just wondering, what was the process like as a first time movie actress at the time? How did you prepare for the role? To be honest, I don't remember much <laughs> because I just remembered that we had to cram so much filming because it was a low budget film, right? I had no idea that um, it would it would make it big. You know, I, I just thought that it was, this was a nice passion project and it had a nice message and maybe we would go to universities and talk about um, and, and begin dialogue on diversity and uh, had intercultural communication and intercultural sensitivity, then boom, it's like, oh, it went to the big screen. And oh, we're now we're now in, in the award ceremony. And um, yeah, so for me, it was always a social project. So I didn't have that kind of, oh my gosh, I'm an actor. <laughs> I have to prepare for this role. No, for me, it was like, okay, we're on set now. And to be honest, I, I was I was already running my own business at that time, right? I'd be like, okay, I have today. Okay, let me get into it. Um, okay, what does the direct director want? Now, it was a challenge for me because my medium until then had been primarily just the stage. So everything has to be big, big, big. But um, I took I took the directions from from um, Siu Kun, and uh, she's a brilliant director, so she got what she needed. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and the, the whole team was professional. They were so easy to work with. And um, and their hearts were at the right place. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was a low budget project, so the people who were doing it were doing it because they believed in the story, and um, and it was such a nice um, environment to to um, to work in. And yeah, we just listened to each other and um, you know followed the the integrity, found the integrity of the story, and we just we just let it come alive. Wow. And the efforts paid off definitely because Still Human exceeded all the expectations and won international recognition. And after you did the movie, did you ever get a chance to hear what foreign domestic workers in Hong Kong think of the movie and the portrayal of Evelyn? Yes. <laughs> so I had several um, several of our, of our migrant work, women workers come up and say, uh, and in Filipino, of course, he would say, oh, Giselle, you made me cry. And I'm like, wow, that's like the biggest compliment because especially people who know me, right? And like, for example, in, in Baumhaus, we have a lot of our, our nannies, our caregivers. Uh, a lot of them are Filipino migrant workers. And they said, teacher, Giselle, they were like, oh, I could so relate. You know that part when you said this? Oh, we were all, we said that's so true. And I'm like, oh, if you can... Um, for for a few seconds, forget that you know me, and think that I'm telling your story. Then, okay, then uh, then I'm I must have done something good, you know. Uh, so yeah, th- I think that was the biggest compliment, honestly. And I've said this before. Even if even if I won the award, if I walked out and and then the, these women would say, "Oh my gosh, that was not really a, a, a depiction of me," then that would be a that would be a shame, right? But and even if I didn't win the award, but I went out and and these women said, "Oh my gosh, thank you for telling our story, and you know, thank you for doing it with dignity." Then my job was done. I think the best things in life happen when you're not going after the recognition, but you're going after the truth 
of the story you're telling. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And it goes to say how important representation is because a lot of people recently watched the Oscars to see Malaysian actress Michelle Yeoh um, being the first Asian getting the Best Actress Award. And for the first time ever, Asian girls who look like Michelle, they could relate to the Best Actress at the Oscars. It's a huge, huge moment. So I can definitely feel that emotions, you know, um, when the viewers and the people you know who are Filipinas coming up to you telling you about how touched they are about your performance and I really do hope the Hong Kong movie industry and also the whole production field will give more chances to Filipino actors, actresses and also ethnic minority actors, actresses to play the roles that actually represent their people and themselves because previously on Proudly Asian we had some like actors and actresses who would point out the problem that some of these ethnic minority roles would be given to maybe ethnically Chinese actors and actresses and they wish they had the chance to be cast and represent their mm. own people. So, But yeah, I want to say something about that. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong when um, others play uh, your, um, your, your ethnicity. I think as an actor, you should be able to traverse different ethnicities. I think, I think it, it's, it might be a bit hypocritical for me to say, oh, only Filipinos can play Filipino roles, because by the same token, a bunch of Filipinos have played Vietnamese in Miss Saigon. Mm. So you can't have a double standard. I think I think the question is more of um, access, mm. right, and opportunity. Can these ethnic minorities play their ethnic minority characters as well as other characters, right, in Hong Kong society? Can ethnic minorities play your neighbor, your um, your banker, your lawyer, your um, your waitress, your you know, so many different things, and but not you know a whole gamut of roles, not just um, not just the same stereotypical ones. Yeah, I agree. Agree. That's also the job of actors. They have to show mm -hmm. the versatility. They have to show the range of characters that they are able to mm -hmm. play. So yeah, that's a very good point. And now moving on, I also want to talk about you wear a lot of hats. Um, I mean, you're an actress. You're also a new mom. As mentioned earlier, you're also an early childhood educator. And for years now, you've been putting in a lot of hard work, focusing on growing your own business, the creative arts learning center for children that you have developed. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you do there and what do you hope to achieve through this project? I think there are two elements to what we do. So we've pioneered the family center concept in Hong Kong. And uh, what people see is, um, is a classroom, a playroom and a cafe. But what we really try to do is create a community for families where you can practice um, being the best feeling your best as a parent and knowing that you have a village that supports you. So that's the one side. But the other side of it is about um, the cultivation of talent. So yes, um, the main product, if you want to call it such, is our um, music-based program, which supports learning from the earliest years, you know, from even from a few weeks old, your babies, even from your tummy, your babies are learning through music the beats, you know, um, everything is connected through um, inflections, beats, tones, sound. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. I could go on and on, but the point is it's um, it's about creating a foundation 
um, for creativity and artistry. And we use music as that language. But I would say that we do it for the children, but we also especially do it for the parents to understand what it means to grow up creatively. You know, how do you support and nurture that? How do you create that environment where your child will thrive? Um, having had the arts build up my character, my perspective, and and basically my path for the future, uh, it's something I want to help children um, have access to. And it's something I want to have parents understand, right? That, uh, that there are certain ways to encourage creativity and not just drill and get certificates to be the best, um, to be to be grade the top grade um, pianist or singer or instrument player. Um, and the and at the same time, I want it to be an eco, a creative ecosystem where whereby we're not just empowering the children, the parents, and the caregivers as well, but we're also empowering our staff to pursue their dreams, to pursue their ambitions, and. We've especially made it possible for um, young local talent, young local pre pre service teachers to come and and, and train in our music based program. We we um, allow also we we we've uh, opened our doors and have promoted local and ethnic minority teachers um, and um, given them access, given them given them a platform, you know, given them a, given them the tools, and also then seeing how we can move this and, and share it with our community. So we've also done outreach. We've also um, done classes for, uh, for underprivileged or less, sorry, less, less privileged um, uh, areas. And, um, and our goal is that uh, this kind of knowledge and this kind of practice should be shared. So my dream actually is that if in the future, what we do becomes so common that nobody would even have to pay for it. And organizations like ours wouldn't have to exist for profit just to fund what we love to do. Wow. I really love how you have built this platform that allows the freedom and space for talent development, not just children, like you mentioned, right? Like multiple groups of people can benefit from this platform that you've built. And also you have used this platform to curate the food that you serve at your center as well. Because I remember seeing lately that you're featuring this local bakery that's offering ube desserts where they do like pandesal, ube mochi, um, uh, brownie, so that's wonderful. <laughs> it's so yummy. I think I think that's the thing, right? In a community-based enterprise, you can actually support and promote um, different endeavors and initiatives. You can incubate. You can incubate not just ideas, but you can also grow um, these different um, different businesses, products, and um, there's this whole um, convergence and collaborations between all these small businesses that come together because you have a similar set of values and philosophies. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a very amazing way to think of learning center. I mean, of course, most of it is for children, but then there are so many added benefits when you build such platform. And my other question for you is, you are incredibly busy. Now you're also a mom. Has motherhood changed the way that you work and approach life? How do you make all these happen? <laughs> Well, motherhood has has definitely affected my work and my life because it's very hard to function when you are sleep deprived, <laughs> chronically sleep deprived. So, <laughs> so there is a very tangible effect. But I think um, 
uh, kidding aside, no, actually not kidding. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, that aside, I think motherhood has has um, compelled me to really look at my priorities because now that time and energy is so limited, I really need to strategize and figure out where, um, what can I do and where can I be to make an impact um, that's actually going to bear fruit, you know? So I've had to be very strategic about uh, about my time and my energies and um, and basically mature in in those ways. Someone actually told me recently that the older you get or the more mature you get, uh, the, the, the more you progress in life, uh, the more you have to look inside you and find that strength to be a strength for others because the, the more you grow, the less people you have above you to ask for help from. Instead, you realize that more people rely on you to help them understand what they're going through and what they need to do. So I think that has been very, a very conscious effort on my part to manage myself and um, and and respect where I'm at and honor honor the growth, make peace with the things that no longer serve me. What do I need to grow um, into, and what do I need to leave behind? So those are very existential questions that have really tangible effects. But I think it happens when you when you have a big responsibility and a big shift as as motherhood. Mm-hmm. And for some people, similar shifts happen in many different ways because motherhood I think is a is a concept that's not always just related to a biological birth but rather um, a change in your life whereby you're giving birth to an idea to a concept or a person and you have a responsibility to be um, that um, that li- that you know the the life force f- on which um, this entity or this person or this idea draws from. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. And for our listeners, if you happen to hear Christelle's baby girl during this episode, it's the beauty of womanhood because now, and also thanks to technology, Christelle could be doing this podcast next to the baby girl. So I mean, kudos to all the mothers, mom entrepreneurs out there. But before we move on to the next segment, I just have one more question to get your perspective on as an educator because we have heard, maybe not specifically Hong Kong, but then I've heard some examples of people hearing about like parents introducing the idea of foreign domestic helpers and Southeast Asians being lowly or dirty to their children. So this obviously contributes to the discrimination against certain members of the society. But in your view as an educator, can social inequality be addressed in early education since children generally don't see differences early on as a negative aspect, but the social divide is so deeply rooted in a lot of Asian communities as well. So I'm wondering from the education points of view, what can we do? I think I'll answer that from a, a sociological perspective, not just an education perspective. We're looking at this whole um, uh, phenomenon where uh, society has evolved because of of the circumstances from decades uh, ago already. So you've had probably the first wave of um, migrant domestic workers, probably what, in the late 80s, 90s? So a lot of the families now, a lot of the, a lot of the people in this generation who are parents who are raising um, their children were raised by a lot of migrant women. They're, you know, when they were growing up, 
they were looking at these women as their second um, second mothers, right? Or or uh, the, a nurturing figure in their lives. And today's parents are very conscientious about you know about how they raise their children. They want these kinds of values for their children. So I think it already is changing, because, slowly but surely. But to your point, education does have an impact because um, when you're dealing with um, when you're dealing with children, obviously for them, like you said, it's not about. There's no malice, right? If a child comes up to me and says, "Oh, hi, teacher. Oh, you're from the Philippines. My auntie is also from the Philippines." There's no malice there for them. Actually, it might even be a compliment, right? That, uh, oh, that's awesome. You might be friends with the person I love. You know what I mean? So, so I think, um, yeah, there there is that um, there is that impact, right? But I think I think society has been has been changing. You do see pockets of um, you know stories where uh, where it's where it's not um, it doesn't show the best of society. But you also have, on the other hand, uh, a big big number of people. Who are growing in that direction? So, in the in the, in the other part, the the better part, you know. Mm-hmm. And we and we should celebrate that. Yeah, totally agree. But now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Fires. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some point in life. So, Chriselle, are you ready? Sure. <laughs> All right, let's go. And first question: Don't go out on Sunday, so people won't think you are a foreign domestic helper. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no answer to that, honestly, because it's like, eh, <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like I have to. I have to. Um, change anything i don't think i have to change anybody's perception if you think i'm a helper then that's what you think right mm. it doesn't it doesn't i don't know it doesn't affect me because for me it does it neither has a positive nor negative um negative connotation it's just like oh you look like a teacher oh you look like a banker oh you look like a helper you know i'd probably be like oh really what makes you say that <laughs> and um yeah that's my first impulse yeah but if, if it's if it's from a but if it has malice then I always think that it's always a reflection on people. If people's perspective of other cultures are very limited, that actually says that that they're not as sophisticated. So I feel worse for them. But at the same time, if somebody thought I'm a helper, it doesn't matter because it's another. It's just another type of employment. It's just another identity. It's neither good nor bad. And the next question is: Aren't all Filipinos in Hong Kong domestic helpers? Mm. That's um that that tells a lot about the circles that people come from, and it's just possible that they're not um they're not in a wider circle, I guess, not in a very in a community where where you get to meet a lot of people from different walks of life, and and that's that's a bit sad for them, not for me, right? Next question: How do you speak English so well? Well, majority of the Filipinos I know speak English, and um, many of us go through an education system that has um, English as a medium of a medium of instruction. So, yeah. Oh, and and check your history. Um, we were colonized by the U.S. for quite some time, so uh, our our, um, our culture is heavily influenced by that. And finally, Filipinos are uneducated. 
That's a very uneducated um, statement. Of, mm. I don't want to be mean, but I feel sorry for the person saying that. But I probably wouldn't actually encounter someone like that because many people, most of the people I know are educated. And education is not something based on somebody's status in life, but um, the way people have been raised to treat everyone around them, regardless of um, where they come from. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for going through this round of Rapid Bias, Chriselle. Now, for us to conclude the episode, I'm wondering if you have any advice that you want to share with our listeners. I think just be true to yourself. Just be honest with yourself. Uh, we have different faces in our lives and we are continually changing And we cannot expect to be the same person we were five years, 10 years ago, or even last week. And I think we need to sit with our feelings and understand who we are and be unapologetic about the things that we're so sure about in ourselves. Uh, That kind of confidence allows us to actually become, you know, give a, share a story, give a real message. And that's what makes an impact in, in to others and in society. And finally, Chriselle, what does it mean to be proudly Filipino to you? Proudly Filipino, oh my gosh. The first thing that came into my head was eating Filipino food. <laughs> That's definitely not the answer you want. But um, yeah, but uh, proudly Filipino, I think it's it's embracing uh, our culture for all its, um, and, and our people, for all the, for both the good and bad. I think, um, I think there's this, misconception sometimes that oh if you're proud proudly filipino then you can't accept any criticism no there's a lot to improve on in our culture for sure but i think celebrating celebrating the good and um and maybe maybe sometimes laughing at the the not so good and see how we can make things better uh yeah but mainly i think it's being proud of who we are and not having to make um any uh, any apologies for what we do in our culture so yes that's awesome thank you so much for joining us on proudly asian christelle thank you thank you for having me so it's so fun <laughs> it was so much fun that's it for this episode of proudly asian don't forget to follow us on instagram at proudly.asian for more content we are on spotify Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, 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 just.